Welcome to the Soul Hubbers podcast with myself, Carrie Davis Monroe, and with me today, my guest, Melinda McDougall, who is our resident medical herbalist. Melinda, welcome, and it's fantastic to be speaking to you today. Oh, it's great to be here, Carrie. Looking forward to chatting to you today. Me too. And I'm going to tell everybody before we start that I have a pretty special relationship with Melinda anyway, which I'm sure is going to come across. Um, I feel very, very privileged to be um, a client of Melinda's and we'll talk about really what she does a little bit later. But I want to um, I want to start out and you'll have heard already. I said this with Andrew. You'll have heard already just in that little intro that Melinda doesn't have a UK accent. So Melinda, you didn't originate here in the UK, did you? Will you tell me a little bit about, you know, where you've come from and why really um, you did land here and when? Yes. And why am I still here? Yes. <laughs> Good question. Good question. <laughs> uh, so I first came to the UK from Australia. So I grew up in Brisbane, in Queensland, in a very tropical, sunny place. And I came over here um, when I was 21. So I've been here for a very long time. I'm actually turning 50 in about a week's time. Wow. So that means I've actually spent more time in the UK than I have ever spent in Australia. But I still sound Australian. I'm never letting go of my Aussie accent. So there you go. Yes, good for you. <laughs> so 21 is really young, Melinda, isn't it? I mean, I look back to me at 21. I'm a different person. So what made you get out at 21? Well, um, I grew up in Brisbane, which has changed a lot over the years. It's it's quite unrecognisable now to, compared to what it was like back in the 1980s. Um, and it was, I felt very suffocated growing up there. It was a beautiful place, you know, incredibly beautiful nature, um, you know, wall-to-wall sunshine, you know, fantastic weather. Um, but uh, politically, it was a, a very repressive place to grow up. So particularly the state that I grew up in, Queensland, um, it's, you know, people in Australia sort of have a, a particular attitude towards Queensland um, because for a long time it really dragged its heels in mm. um moving forwards politically so when I grew up there um, abortion was illegal um, uh, homosexuality was a criminal offense and people would have their houses raided um, if you you know if you were found to have a, a single joint of you know marijuana mm -hmm. on you mm -hmm. it would be sort of life imprisonment um, there was a lot of you know aboriginal deaths in custody it was Oof. very racist homophobic yeah. sexist mm -hmm. you know it was very um uh difficult you know and um you know it was it uh, it, it sort of instilled in me from a very young age a sort of a uh, a political uh, mindset, you know, and I could sort of see how wrong all this stuff was. But really the people around me, um, like a lot of my family, was sort of, they were voting in these governments that were sort of, um, you know, keeping all these laws on the statute books and... Mm. And also, you know, we we sort of, we never really, I, I never left Australia till I was 21. I didn't have a passport until I was 21. Mm -hmm. We didn't really go on holidays outside of Australia. Um, so 
for me, I was just absolutely itching. You know, once I'd, I'd actually done my journalism degree in Australia, and once I finished that, I just, um, I just legged it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just had to get out of there. Um, and I went off traveling. I went backpacking, you know, with hardly any money and a backpack and mm. went all around, you know, America and Europe and had a great time. And then uh, I didn't mean to come to the UK. I didn't mean to live here. And it was all a big accident, really, because I sort of ran out of money when I was traveling. And I had a work working visa, like a young people's working mm. visa to come over here. And uh, I thought, oh, I'll just go to London and earn a bit more money and then I'll, um, you know, keep going. And of course, I landed in London just as John Major was leaving office. And, you know, the, the Labour Party was about to come in yes. and it was the 1990s yes. in London. Oh, my God, I was in absolute heaven. It was wonderful, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's what you left for, to find, you know, yeah. to find that, I guess, a different kind of freedom and, and yeah. to feel that you had some affinity, I guess, with the feel of the country or the people around you. Yeah, exactly. And also, over the years, I've kind of realised that, um, you know, my ancestry is very English, Scottish, um, uh, you know, very Scottish, actually. And I kind of feel like I've come back to the land of my ancestry, you know, that maybe I never really felt very comfortable in Australia, that I feel much more comfortable here. I feel like mm -hmm. this is where my people come from. And yeah. I feel an affinity with the land here. Um, and, you know, it, it does feel to me like a coming home almost. Yeah, like the right place to be, I guess. Yeah. Not that, not that things politically haven't changed <laughs> since and uh, we wouldn't no. have like a little bit of change again, maybe for, yeah. uh, for the better. But um, so you so you landed here and then you already mentioned that you had a degree in journalism. So yeah. was it at that point that you decided, OK, well, you know, this is where I can start my career in journalism? Yeah, again, it was all a bit of an accident because um, I'd sort of I'd had a few jobs in Australia. I'd worked in radio. I had a, my own radio show for a while and I um, uh, worked. Yeah, I worked in sort of all sorts of media jobs uh, just when I was really young, when I was still kind of studying. And then I came over here and I thought, oh, maybe I can get a job as a journalist in the UK and um you know, and I was, again, just still trying to earn some money. So I started doing some temp jobs, just ended up getting a temp job at Channel 4. Wow. Which was the best education of British culture you could ever have asked for. It was absolutely wonderful. And I spent about five years working at Channel 4, uh, which was Can I ask you what, extremely what you fun. Can I ask you what you mean by that? So when you say it's the best education of British culture, I guess it, you, you mean it epitomised lots of the British culture. Well, yeah, and I guess I just learned so much about British culture through the, the archives of all the Channel 4 programmes and watching Channel 4 programmes and being in the media. I had to, mm -hmm. I was actually working in the press office at Channel 4 and I had to deal with a lot of tabloid journalists and mm. you know um you know all sorts of scandals going on and 
um it was yeah it was just such an education such an insight and it was it was a, it was a lot of fun actually yeah sounds like <laughs> sounds like an eye-opener so, so how long did you actually work for them for so I worked in-house at Channel 4 for about five years and then I um, I left and I went freelance and I sort of, you know, decided that I really wanted to, you know, be more of a journalist and go back to that kind of thing instead of working in, the, in a sort of PR capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I um, went and worked with a lot of production companies and made all sorts of documentaries. Um, and ended up being a director and producer um, of uh, documentaries um, for Channel 4 and the BBC um, as a freelancer. Um, So, yeah, that went on for, you know, many years, actually. Um, I sort of travelled all over the place, travelled all over the world Mm. doing that. So so a really successful career in what you'd chosen at that point and almost, you know, reaching the pinnacle, I guess, of what anybody would want doing that sort of thing. Yeah, it was wonderful, yeah. So what brought it to an end? Well, um, I guess I got to my sort of late 30s and I could really feel that I was going to burn out and I was working insane hours. You know, I was Mm. sort of in edit suites till, you know, four o'clock in the morning, Mm. trying to hit deadlines, out on the road all the time filming you know mm. not being at home very often um hardly ever got to see my husband hardly ever got to see my friends mm. um and then you'd so you'd sort of work on these projects really intensely and then you'd kind of get to the end of them and crash yeah and then you'd have a period of time where you'd have to recover and then you'd throw yourself back into it again and do another project like that and I just kind of got to the end of my 30s and I just thought, I don't think this is sustainable going mm. forwards. You know, mm. um, I've, I've really got to look at, you know, what I can do. That's that's a, a, a better job for me. That's more sustainable. Um, and I guess that's where, you know, herbal medicine came into the picture. Yeah. So so really, it was all about quality of life and changing the quality of life. And it's really interesting because we were having a conversation before we recorded as usual. And you were saying, I'm not sure I had this sort of, you know, big turning point as some of the other soul hubbers in terms of an illness. But I guess what you've just described is reaching a point of no return and understanding that the body, the mind, where you were at was unsustainable. Um, And what I love about you, Melinda, and we were also talking about this, is that, you know, leaving Australia when you did at 21, you know, leaving a very, very successful career in journalism and deciding, right, I'm going to do something else. You embrace transition and you embrace change in your life. And for me, that's really interesting because that's what you now support others to do, isn't it? Yeah, I love that you've summarised that because I guess I've never actually really stopped and and thought about that. Um, You know, and actually you're right because, um, you know, I guess a lot of people thought I was a bit crazy just kind of coming over here to the UK with sort of, well, I didn't really mean to end up here and I didn't have a plan and Mm. it just happened. But then again, when I left the media, you know, a lot of people thought that was a really crazy thing to do. Mm. And 
you know, sort of, yeah, financially and and for, you know, spending all these years building up a reputation and mm. putting all that work or so much hard work I put into that career and to just kind of walk away from it. I mean, mm. yeah, some people did think I was really crazy. And I think a lot of people did expect me to fail and a lot of people thought it wouldn't work out, you mm. know. That's actually, interesting. Yeah. I see yeah. that as super brave. You know, I see that as super courageous because so many people and right, you know, there's no judgment here, but lots of people, obviously, we're creatures that are pain avoiding pleasure mm. seekers and we mm. stay away from change because it's the unknown. And I guess you stepped into it and you embraced it. Yeah. And honestly, I was the every time it's just always been a you know good decision and I've never looked back and mm. you know I cannot imagine being now nearly about to turn 50 and still working in the media mm. I mean obviously I probably would have taken more of a desk job and not been out and about but still you know that industry is incredibly pressurized mm. and you know obviously I have a lot of clients now who come from that industry and I really empathize mm. with what they're going through through uh because it's really tough especially as a woman I think yeah definitely I mean well and and deciding to take a transition and deciding to take a change that is really tough too so how did you decide to do what you do now which is obviously you know you're a medical herbalist and it takes a <laughs> long time to train for one thing yeah you know yeah, it's a big commitment, massive commitment to study. And it was a massive financial commitment as well. I mean, I worked part time while I studied. Um, I guess I just have always felt so drawn to plant medicine. And it's something I've been really uh, connected with from a from a young age. I don't know why or how it kind of came into my life. But I've always been really interested in natural medicine, but mm. it's kind of more than that. It's actually more to do with um, with women's health. So, you know, from a really young age, you know, I've I've been a feminist, and I always felt that women were so badly let down by the medical profession, mm. and that they weren't listened to, and that their concerns were always swept under the carpet, and that their um, they just weren't understood by a very male-dominated medical profession. I mean, obviously, that's you know changing a lot. Um, but women have always used these plants, and it's always been a really, I think, a very sort of female medicine. You know, if you think about all those women who were killed in like mm. the, you know, the witch hunts, and you know, the the wise women of the village who would be the healers, and there's something very feminine about this medicine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a big, big change, big commitment. And I I was quite excited, actually, when I, I didn't even know you could be a medical herbalist. And then I mm -hmm. sort of, I can't really remember how I found out. I think, do you know what? I actually think I went to a medium at one point when I was in the middle of another awful job and I was living I was living in Bristol and commuting back to London and I was really fed up with it all and I think I went to see a medium and she actually told me you know you've got to you've got to study herbal medicine and this mm. is the path for you and I remember just having this quite in, in 
amazing kind of visualization in a meditation about it. And I, at the time, I just remember going, really? <laughs> and, but it's, it, that set my brain ticking. And, and that's when I found out that you can actually study to be a medical herbalist. And then all these doors just sort of opened. Yeah. So it was very interesting. And I love it that you, you, you know, right from the age of 21, you move towards things that you feel this connection with. You move towards things that you feel this affinity with. And it actually has to sit deep within your values, doesn't it? And lots of people don't think about that, actually, until we get to our late 40s or 50s. You know, we come out of school and we move into a profession or a job because that's what our, you know, that's what our exams led us to or that's what our parents led us to do. And actually, you started thinking about that right from the beginning. Where where does this sit in terms of my values? What feels right for me? What's my priorities? And and this felt right for you at that point. So what was the training like, Melinda? Because I know I've looked at it myself and I know it is, you know, we're not just talking a one year course or a few weekends, are we? This is a deep, deep medical training. It is. It is incredibly deep. Uh, Yeah. So it. It actually took me about eight years to complete it part time. Um, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm. And the people I studied with on that course, we all had to really support each other. And, you know, so so many of us, you know, nearly dropped out at different mm. points because it was incredibly tough. So, yeah, it's a... Um, I mean, at the time, it was a a university degree, and um, there's not so many of those these days. Um, But it was, uh, yeah, so it's it's like training to be a GP. So you have, you know, all your anatomy and physiology training and your pharmacology training. Um, You do all the same diagnostic training that a GP would have, because as a herbalist, you have a legal right to diagnose people, Mm -hmm. which is quite unusual. Um, you know, all the all the physical hands-on, you know, training that a GP would have. But then on top of that, you've got all the plants to learn about, all the botany, all the plant chemistry, all the, you know, uh, you know, how to treat people with with um medicinal herbs. So it is it is um not for the faint-hearted. Absolutely. And and you know, in terms of the length and the depth of the course. There aren't, you know, there, there's not a plethora of medical herbalists out there. And there's certainly not many doing exactly what you do. So, you know, you specialize in, as you said, you know, working with women and you specialize particularly working with women in menopause. And I, you know, I'm lucky enough, as I say, and I really, you know, I truly mean that to be, um, for, have firsthand knowledge of how you work. But why, Melinda, did you choose this particular avenue of medicine? Uh, you mean menopause specifically? Yes, um, yeah, menopause specifically. So when I, when I was studying, this was, you know, obviously quite a few years ago now, there was this huge gap mm. in, in, in total silence around this subject And I just could not believe the lack of research, the lack of understanding, the lack of any dialogue that was going on. Um, But also, uh, you know, my own mother had gone through 
the worst menopause that I've ever seen. And that, and I'm saying that as someone who sees a lot of clients and, and I've seen extreme cases of menopause, menopausal symptoms, but for her, it was, it was really debilitating. Um, and it, it really did affect her life. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, she'd be out at a social event and, and, you know, would, you know, faint or throw up or you know I mean it was it was really really dreadful and um, can I ask Melinda because back back then obviously as you just said the we weren't having these conversations women women didn't know you know I remember you know going back to a parent um, of a friend of my sister's and everybody just thought she was mad yeah and we look back now and think my goodness how could we think that so did you know and did your mother know what was going on for her or was it a case of just not being able to access help and a diagnosis she did get help she did get some help um but uh you know obviously she couldn't really talk about it to many people and it was all a bit sort of swept under the carpet um and uh you know it was really hard for her to sort of go through all this and you know she's still getting symptoms now and she's in her you know late 70s um so I think that really alerted me from a very young age that this was obviously just you know out of own my own personal self-interest oh my god I don't want that to happen to me yeah but also um you know I, I just started reading a lot about it and you know, and I am actually really fascinated by what happens to us as we go through the menopause, because I just feel like it is the most incredible sort of rebooting of your whole system and Mm. uh, complete transition to a new identity. And it's still not acknowledged that is not acknowledged it's a rite of passage Mm. and I think it's an incredibly powerful time for for women so that's why I'm continually fascinated by it yeah I think you're right and I think that one of the issues is that you know now everybody is openly talking about menopause you know we talk about the symptoms we talk about you know everybody knows the main symptoms and we talk about all of those But what we don't acknowledge is that actually this is really a time for women to come into their own as well, to examine what doesn't work for you anymore. What can you let go of? Um, What what part of you serving other people often can you let go of? Um, And I guess that's an incredible, you know, I know that with the work that I do with women, I feel incredibly privileged to help them navigate that. But you're helping them navigate that on a whole different level, aren't you? Um, And often it's a change of mindset because, you know, obviously we feel different. We look different. The skin changes. There are all these negative things. Mm. And we have to remind ourselves that actually alongside this, we can also come out the other side and decide how we want life to be, can't we? Exactly. We have a choice. You know, we have a choice about how we want to think about the rest of our lives. Mm. And you can sink into the sort of gloom and doom mentality about getting older, or you can be really thankful that you've made it this far because lots Mm. of other people haven't. And, you know, feel excited about, you know, what the rest of your life has to offer. But, you know, I think 
in our society particularly there is huge pressure on women to be young and to look young and to you know feel young and there's not very much space for mm. the 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 woman who is aging in our society it's it's an incredible pressure you know every every now and then when I dive into social media I just mm. go oh my god you know yeah what? just seems to get worse and worse out there in terms of chasing the elixir of youth yeah no I think you're right there is a pressure and you know what I would say to clients is actually stay away from it because you know you be you immediately become marketed to mm. obviously with the preferences that we see on social media and some of that stuff is unattainable anyway. You know, we know that within menopause, you lose over 30% of your collagen, is it, within the first five years? Mm. So we know that you're, you know, the way that you appear, we know that, you know, we're going to get a little bit more fat around the middle. We can work and we can certainly keep these off and, and minimize these changes. But some of it is deeply connected to acceptance, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yes. finding out who you are, you know, yeah. what you stand for. And I guess you've always, that's always been a big, big part of you. You've always known and been connected to who you are, what you stand for, what your values are and what your politics are. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to ask you this and I know the answer, but how do you bring that into your work with people so that they benefit from that as well? I think I just, you know, I really try to support people and meet them where they're at right now um but I always want the best for people and I always want to gently nudge them into mm. you know I don't want to push them I don't want them to feel uncomfortable I just trying to help them to um navigate this transition and to um perhaps have some realizations you know because I it's so fascinating talking to women going through the menopause because yeah. you know quite often it's the first time I mean that's why it's so good that it's called the menopause mm. because they do get to pause and it's like it's like someone tapping you on the shoulder and just going hey you need to just have a little think about mm. where your life is um, what you want to bring with you into this next chapter and what you want to shed and what, what you want to leave behind mm. um, and really, um, you know, shed your skin and and start anew in lots of ways. You know, that's why it's, I, I you know, I mean, it's awful that lots of women leave their jobs around menopause or they get divorced. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure if you're struggling with symptoms, then that's um, a big factor. But also, I think there's a really good reason for that. Yeah, me too. Because women <laughs> want something different, you know, for the rest of their life, you know? Yeah, me too. And, and I love... You know, I always look to uh, Christian Northrup on this, you know, when when she wrote The Wisdom of Menopause and she said, I know we do talk about all the symptoms, but actually what we should be talking about is that these, you know, the hormonal changes make us really look differently at our lives yeah. and we become less of a carer. And actually, if we don't become less of a carer, then we become quite frustrated and quite resentful. Yes, and angry. And yes. yes. And that's why we look at those relationships. And if people aren't prepared to flip it and do the looking after as well as the being looked after, then, yeah, women often decide that they need a new path and they want something different, don't they? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, life is short. They feel, feel that, you know. 
and it's time to time to move on and make you know find what's going to work for you you know because you've given given to all these people in your life and now it's time to put yourself at the front of the queue for a change yeah it is and you know I think also that's being that it happens at a time when physically as well as mentally you're going through lots of changes it's scary yeah. So, you know, I, I I said at the beginning, I think we need to be calling you the master of transitions <laughs> because that's what that's what you deal with. And it is managing change, managing that transition and taking people through to a different phase of their life. So, Melinda, I know that you have a you have a dispensary day. So you go in on a Wednesday and that's when you work, isn't it, with with the herbs that you have. Mm. How else do you work sort of hand to hand with herbs and gathering and and how do you get it together in order to dispense? And, you know, I, I always feel like when mine arrive, oh, it's the best gift ever. You open it up and I have a little note from you and I look in there. It's all beautifully packaged and it's a, a deep sort of here we go, you know, another set of support. But you do it oh, beautifully, lovely. don't you? Yeah, well, I really put a lot of care into the medicines I make for people, so much work goes into it, you know, from thinking about each individual person and what plants might be good for each person and really spending a lot of time thinking about that and, you know, how I'm going to make up these prescriptions and what herbs go into them. Um, and then, you know, obviously coming to to make up the medicines because I should explain to people that you know I mainly work with liquid herbal medicines um so these are tinctures and extracts of of herbal medicines um so I put them all together in into a bottle so you might get sort of six or seven different herbs in 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 your prescription um but yeah and I actually do a little bit of reiki on my herbs before they go out as well oh I love it I didn't know that (laughs) And um, I, you know, and I really do like people to feel like they're getting something special Mm. from me when it turns up, because I do think it's um, just taking those herbs every day. It's a little bit of self-care, isn't it? It's that little ritual, you know, that you're looking after yourself and you're looking after your body and your mind and your soul. Um, Because, you know, the plants do work in many different ways. So Mm. there's a physical effects and you know our bodies really respond to these plant medicines but you know I do have a little chuckle to myself every now and then because you know I might put a bit of rose tincture into someone's mix and then they'll come back the next week and tell me about how they've suddenly started a new relationship and Mm, I love it and (laughs) you're literally working a bit of magic aren't you you're literally working magic you know and I can't take all the credit but I do like the fact that sometimes when people start taking these herbal medicines other things start happening in their life you know so it just can soften things or it can open them up to new experiences or just give them the courage maybe to sort of you know, make some changes. So. Well, and as as we know, it's all got you know everything is energy. We're all energy, so you are sending it out with an energy to become, create, aren't you? Which um, yeah. which I absolutely love. Now, Carmen is going to ask me to ask you, what makes you feel soulful? And I think I might know the answer to this, but I'd love to know from you. Well, there's a few things really. I think 
yes, being with the plants, working with the plants, being in nature, um, you know, I think we can all do with a lot more of that. I mean, I live in the middle of London. I crave those expeditions mm. into nature. Um, but also people, people make me feel soulful. You know, I think where we can be very down on our fellow humans, but actually when you have a really amazing conversation with someone and you feel like you've really connected with them on a deep soul level, I get a lot of nourishment from that. That makes me feel very soulful. I love a good, you know, deep connecting conversation with someone, um, you know, and I am very lucky to live near someone who does the most wonderful um, sort of sound meditations. And, you know, that really helps nourish my soul. Uh, so I go in and spend some time with her in a circle of other women. Mm. And that that really helps to fill up my well of energy. Yeah. yeah. It sounds to me, you know, there's definitely a theme of feeding from other women mm. and also lifting other women up, which we don't always see, do we? And obviously, you know, I do a lot of that. I predominantly have female clients because it seems to be often the females that are much more open to accept work on themselves um you know that they they volunteer for that but I think it's a unique community isn't it to be working with so many women as we do in Soul Hub as well um but to have that opportunity and I also see it and I think you do as a complete privilege isn't it to work with women it really is it really is but but I have to say that you know those women inevitably do bring me their husbands, sons, yes. friends. And, you know, we need to, we need to, that's something I'm interested in working more on actually is how to get the men to look after themselves, you know, better. Yes. Yeah. And that was my next question. Yeah. So, you know, as I said to you is, are you feeling that, yes, there's still so much more for me here in this space or is there a what's next and where would you like to grow? Is there a target area that you are also interested in? Um, I think I'm happy where I am for the moment. Um, but, um, you know, I also spend a lot of my time in a voluntary capacity because um, I'm the vice president of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. So I spend a lot of my spare time trying to promote the work of, of herbalists mm -hmm. and herbal medicine. Um, so that that keeps me busy. But um, but yes, I'm always you know, I, I don't just work with menopause. I have clients who have all sorts of health conditions from, you know, rheumatoid arthritis to COPD to, um, you know, uh, I had a young guy the other day who just wanted a bit of help with, you know, getting some tips about how to live his life a bit more healthily. Mm. Um, you know, and I really, I, I do feel like the men are neglected, you know, because yeah. women are so good at, at accessing the help they need and men yeah. aren't so much. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it, to, well, not, not difficult to invite, but it's difficult to get men to come and have that conversation sometimes, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I have, I coach men too, but, you know, if I look at the percentage of men to yeah. women, it is significantly less. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge for us all, isn't it? And I guess Andrew within Soul Hub and Duncan too, and, and, and to some extent, um, Robert, you know, run lots of groups whereby they are encouraging men to do yeah, this. Yeah, and Kenny. 
Yes, and Kenny, yes. obviously, yeah. yeah. Do you think it's because we're, you know, partly because we're women, do you think it's more difficult? More difficult for them to come to us? Yes, yeah. Yeah, possibly. I think there is a different dynamic there. Um, you know, I think there is. I think men feel probably more comfortable talking to other men than they do to women, um, mm. possibly. Uh but yes, it's um, something that I feel has got to shift. Yeah, something that's got to shift and change. And I think that, you know, to be honest, we're seeing people in, you know, difficult situations. Mm. I always think right now we're in a winter of discontent mm -hmm. in so many, uh, for so many reasons and for so many contexts. So, um, you know, I think that in the next year or two, we are going to see repercussions of the last few years and hopefully we will have access to support men and women alike because there's a lot going on isn't there yeah there sure is yeah <laughs> a hell of right. a lot. <laughs> well Melinda it's been um, fantastic for me to be able to talk to you um, and to get into the background a little bit because I know that you have certainly had an impact um, upon um, upon my last few years and I continue to work with you and I feel really privileged and lucky to do that because you know people people choose to navigate these ways in different times um, yeah. and we respect all those choices yes. but it is always worth having those conversations to see you know how that way may be supported um yeah. and so um so yeah I'm so lucky to be able to have you in my my life in my world to support Very me kind. but it's been a real privilege to have the opportunity to speak to you today thank you so much for coming on the Soul Hobbers podcast oh it's been a wonderful conversation thanks Kerry and uh, and hopefully we will see you later in the year um, and, and talk about more topics because there's so much to delve into, into what you do. It's huge, isn't it? Yeah, massive. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. And um, have a wonderful Christmas if we don't speak sooner. Thank you.